0: Church, let's pray together and praise the Lord by speaking to him together. Please pray with me. Lord, we wanna praise you as our Father. We wanna praise you, Jesus, as the Son of God. We wanna praise the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a guarantee of everything that we are looking forward to. Lord, you truly are the God of glory, and Lord, we, we do not understand truly how wonderful your glory is, anyone. Anyone who saw your glory, Lord, were undone. Lord, you're the one who proclaims that you dwell in unapproachable light that no one can see you. That's how glorious you are, Lord, and your majesty is beyond compare. No one attained or will attain any of the things that you have done. And So truly, we want to praise forever you as the king of kings. Lord, I pray that we would understand that you are the king eternal. From the beginning when you made everything, Lord, you claimed it as your own. It is us who have rebelled against you. But you are still the king. Lord, I pray that our hearts would submit to you as king but also understand that the grace and mercy and kindness that you bestowed upon us as the King is that you also came to be our Savior. You humbled yourself. You did not consider kingship at the right hand of the Father something to hold on to, but you, Jesus, came and emptied yourself and became a servant King. And you died for us. You did what we could not do and then by your power, you were raised from the dead. And now you are seated rightfully where you should be. Lord, help us to see that that is true. Lord, I pray that we would glory in that today as we open your word and hear from you today. We ask this in your name, amen. You may be seated. If you are participating in the water adoption class, uh, you can be dismissed and go through those doors. And uh, there is the learning center. Someone will be with you over there. I invite you, as Jasper reminded us, to participate that. Kids, if you are interested as well, please take your parents. Don't just run into that room, okay? We are in Genesis chapter four. We're gonna finish chapter four today and let me remind you from last week, we looked at the story of Cain and Abel. One of the main things we saw about Cain and Abel is the fact that man's heart quickly gave itself over to rebellion against God and his order and often now we are moved with envy and anger and hatred towards other people. And yet as we saw in the story, God in his grace chose to protect Cain and actually seek to exemplify for us our attitude to those who are our enemies even today. Now we're gonna look at Cain even a little bit further. And it's interesting, after this passage, Cain and his descendants disappear out of the Bible. This is a last biography and testament of Cain and his descendants. And we will see today that the grace of God continues with Cain and his line And we see that God will always give grace and mercy to people even when they don't recognize it or acknowledge God at all in their life. God's common grace and mercy goes with mankind because all of mankind is created in the image of God. We cannot help but be made that way. And therefore, often we can't help but evidence the image of God in us. And we're going to see that aspect today as well because man does what God made them to do and we'll see that in advancements in human society taking what God has created and creatively using it how God would have us to use it but there's two ways that we can use it. All of us live in the same world believer and unbeliever one uses it for self glorification and the others use it for the glory of God and so those who know God join in with the advancement of human society that's part of what we're called to do even today but also those who know God seek to advance the kingdom of God not just human society So Genesis chapter four, if you're there, we're gonna read 17 to the end of the chapter. And it says this, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad and Arad fathered Mahujael, Mahujael fathered Mathushael, and Mathushael fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Javal. I know it says, it actually is Yaval, but I'm going to pronounce it Javal. Javal, he, he is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Juval, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tuval Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah. Now Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. As you see this, you're seeing a a line from Cain taking place. There's a lot of details that we don't get. For instance, Cain's wife, no name. Who is she? She's his wife. That's all you need to know. She had a son named Enoch, When he built a city, he calls the name of the city Enoch. So the first question, I look at this, I'm like, why are they building a city? Is this good or is this bad that they're building a city? And the answer is yes. It's bad because it could be taken, and again, the text is kind of silent about this, but if you know anything about Cain, you know the character of this guy. He's probably building a city because he doesn't actually trust God's protection. If you remember what happened in the passage previously, he's worried that people are gonna kill him when they find out his own relatives are gonna come and kill him for what he's done. And his answer to that is he's sent out, he goes out even more east of Eden, and he builds himself a city. And we see perhaps he's not trusting God's protection. Another thing that you could say is that he's also trying to get rid of his announcement that he is to be a wandering wanderer who wanders in the land of wandering. He goes, I don't want to do that. I am actually going to settle down. But you also see that there are good things about this city that come up, and we'll see it in the text. And part of it is this idea of the creation mandate. If you think back to Genesis 1, when God made humanity, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to rule and have dominion over it. And so you have this first part here of him filling the earth. Here he is having kids. But he's also tasked, and you think of what God has asked for us to do, was to take what was in the garden and bring it to the rest of the world. Often when we think of the first creation of everything, we think everything was beautiful and blissful. It wasn't. There was an aspect of man leaving the garden and making the garden and taking it outside. And you guys would think, well, how is that a city? because it's the advancement of human society that is being directed here. God filled the earth with the potential for advancement and discovery. Everything that we have today is utilizing some of the things that are in the earth and we start making progress and gaining more progress as progress is made, honing the progress. So man is tasked with drawing out things from the earth and making developments in things like science, art, architecture, technology, betterments for human society. And again, notice this is in a city. Cities have a unique way of pulling resources and people together, do they not? We see the importance, this is the first city stated, but we'll see in the rest of the Bible, cities take shape in a variety of ways. Some of them heart centers of evil and rebellion, others centers of that which is glorious because in a city you have things like the values and beliefs of an area. It evidences those things because people from those areas come into the city as well as they're often religious centers. You can look in the New Testament, Ephesus was known as the city of Artemis. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They had a boast in their goddess. But there's also much diversity in cities. If you think of Paul the Apostle, he never went out to the farmlands to preach the message of the gospel. He always targeted the city because the city is the place that then infiltrates the rest of the area. But what did life in the city of Enoch look like? And some of you would say, well, Charles, there's nobody there. It's just Cain, his wife, and his son. Yeah. But they have kids. And so that's where verse 18 comes in. Enoch has Irad, Erod, Mahujael, Mahujael, Mathushael, Mathushael, father Lamech. Now, notice this is just following one line. The implication of the text is that there's others, but what they're trying to do is get to this man, Lamech because Lamech is the villain in the story. He's the bad guy in our story. And what you see about Lamech is already introduced in the next verse and he is the seventh from Adam in genealogy. If you think of seven, sevens are important. We've seen them a lot in the narrative of Genesis so far. But you have from Adam, to Lamech, you have the seventh generation, and really what he is is he's a culmination of Cain's descendants. This is the guy we need to know about. And you have a hint of him immediately when it says, and Lamech took two wives. Took two wives. We know that in, according to Genesis chapter two that God said man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Here you have a rejection, a disregard for God's design. He's basically saying, I'm gonna be fruitful and multiply the way that I want to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not gonna do it your way, God. And again, one of the things that we're seeing here in this passage is that they're trying to relieve themselves from God and his rule over them. And we're gonna see this over and over again. Get rid of God and then I can do as I please. But let's look at Lamech and his family because the other part of the creation mandate is not just be fruitful and multiply, it's also to have dominion, to rule over the earth. And so we see this in the cultural advancements and discoveries of his children. And so you have in verse 20, Adah bore Javal and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So this guy most likely was right outside of the city when we think of having tents and livestock, we think that this guy's a nomad. Potentially he is, but what he also is doing is having all of the possessions of the city outside and caring for them. You don't have all of your livestock in the city. So this guy probably would have made advancements in things like transportation. He had donkeys and horses and camels, larger livestock, those types of things. He would have had clothing, leathers, skins. He would have made fabric from sheep in their wool. He would have also had food production. This is all this guy right here. He's got all of the animals. That's all comes from animals, and that's what's implied in the text. These people are making advancements in these areas. His brother's name is Juval, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. So this is the guy who writes songs. You need a good song in cities, right? You need concert halls, you need amphitheaters, you need uh, storytellers, bards, you can think of that, modern day singers. uh, All of these acting probably advancements in the arts. This guy is linked to that. I think of how often they told stories through songs. If you think of Moses, again these people are in the wilderness, Moses sang a song after they crossed the Red Sea in Exodus 15. Miriam joins in with the singing with a tambourine and she's singing the song of God's deliverance through Egypt. Songs were ways of putting forward truth for the next generation and we use that the same today. That's what this guy is doing. Zillah also bore Tuval Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So he makes tools for building and tools for protecting and hunting. Now it's not in the text, but I'm pretty sure he had two sets of twins. The first sons were Cobalt and DeWalt. The next two sons were Smith and Wesson. So those were his kids. The sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah. Now her name means pleasant. If you look at the text, there's nothing about her that we know. What, who is she? I think one of the important things here is that you have pairs. You have two wives. You have the first wife having two kids and you have the second wife having two kids. Another aspect is some would assume that she was involved in some of it, her name meaning pleasant, that most likely she was a singer. Perhaps she also had cities named after her or had her own land that she had herself. Uh, We see actually in Job that there's a friend of Job's, his name is Zophar the Naamite. Interestingly, same name as hers. Uh, It could be that her name went through afterwards as well. The point though is that the creation mandate is moving forward and advancements are taking place in the society. But if you notice, why is God using all of these things for those who have rejected him? Why is he allowing them to bring this about? Why isn't it in Genesis chapter 5 that you see all of these advancements? Why is it pagans? And this is written here because as Moses is writing this to the people, he's reminding them that God in his grace is not just with godly People. Gifts are not just given to only those who know him. They're given to mankind freely by the grace of God. And that's a truth that we have to see today. Common grace is constantly with us all over, whether or not the world is gonna recognize it or not. I still remember Al Mohler flying into Toronto, and one of the things he said is "As I flew into Toronto, which you can do this in any city. As you come into a city, you could recognize that there are advancements of modern marvels and you're looking at it and you're saying, look at all of these things, this is glorious and yet the truth is mankind has no recognition that it is God who has allowed this to happen but man by nature creates. Man by nature looks at the world and says, what can we do with it? And I think of how indebted we are to secular enterprise. How many of you drive an automobile? How many of you have an iPhone? How many of you use Amazon? How many of you have ever been to a 7-Eleven? Exactly, secular enterprise has blessed all of you, especially the 7-Eleven. Now Christians have partaken in these as well. It's not just secular enterprise, that has blessed the world. Christians have as well, and we know that. In fact, I would argue that the greatest Christian achievement in our time was the wonderful invention of Chick-fil-A sauce. We all know that that's a modern marvel made by Christians, closed on Sunday. All of these advancements express the image of God in mankind and man can't help but do this, taking things that are chaotic and bringing them into order. That's an expression of man's desire because God himself did that and as we read Genesis 1, we saw God taking that which is chaos. Here's issues that we have, we need to make these better and then he makes it Orderly. In fact, he forms things and then fills them. And so often, that's exactly what we do, whether through design or building structures and then filling it with beauty that's all over the world. The problem is much of our time is given to those things and not the one who gave it to us. That's why the Bible reminds us every good and perfect gift comes from God. That God is the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy it's all from the hand of God do we see that do we recognize what he's doing and what he's given us abilities to do so you can't ignore that we've been given wonderful gifts but you also can't be just neutral in the gifts Because the gifts themselves are seemingly neutral, but it's the use of these things that really show whether or not your heart is for or against the Lord. And you see often, even in human history, that as mankind advances technologically and advances in human society, so the heart of rebellion also goes the opposite direction and has no dependence on God. That's very clear a trajectory of mankind, our own advancement, to relieve the curse is also, in a sense, relieving us from God himself. And let that not be said of us because all these good things of his kids are there, but it's how we use them, and that's what we're going to see in Lamech. So now we're going to highlight Lamech in the rest of this little section on Cain's descendants. Again, seventh generation from Adam. Lamech is most likely at this time the new ruler of the city. When it comes to so-and-so, fathered so-and-so, he's probably given at some point the ruling of this city. And again, his kids are blessed with all of these advancements, but Lamech uses all of these advancements for his own glory. And we see that in 23 and 24. He sings a song. So he takes one of the developments of his kids and sings a song about himself. And it's called the sword song. This is a boasting in his own glory and strength. And he says to his two wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. I do find it interesting if you talk to Zillah by herself, you can't really charge her with anything. This is just a side note. If you ever talk to her about the Lord, you couldn't say, praise God, Zillah. It just doesn't work. Trust the Lord or trust in God, Zillah. It doesn't work. Sorry. I was just thinking of that. Zillah. Yeah, that's a tough one. But it's a boasting song of Lamech. So when he's talking to these wives, what he's telling them is either, listen, I'm going to protect you or you better not cross me. That's the hard part. We don't really know what he's saying, but he addresses both of his wives. And he says, listen, listen to me. Look at who I am. Look at what I'm able to do. And he says, I'm going to seek unchecked vengeance on anyone who crosses me. Because he says, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. There's this truth in the Bible called the lex talionis. It is the right punishment for the crime. So you have it stated, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That was written later on because that's checking that the punishment fits the crime. He does the exact opposite. He basically says a life, For a scratch. I'm going to take a life for a bruise. This guy is brutal. This guy is evil. And then he makes a boastful statement. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, mine's 77 fold. Kind of like the Joker. He says, wait till they get a load of me. I'm far worse than you've ever seen before. Sevenfold is this idea, as we saw with Cain, God promised to bring a full punishment to those who crossed him. So what Lamech is basically saying is either God's going to have to protect me far more than He protect Cain because of my wickedness, or he's saying, I don't even need God to protect me. I can fend for myself and bring my own judgment and I'm going to bring it far worse than God ever promised Cain. Either way, he's saying, I have a heart of full violence. Unlimited violence is the term of 77-fold. So you have full punishment, sevenfold, Unlimited, 77-fold. Now as you read... A story in the New Testament, you think of Peter asking Jesus, How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Is it seven times, a full forgiveness? And Jesus says 70 times seven, a full, unlimited forgiveness. Exact opposite of this guy, Lamech. But Lamech is an example of depravity. You see a rapid decline of man's conviction of sin. There's no statement of sin, there's no care about sin. There's no Heart that is moved. Think of Cain. He has a conversation with God about the fact of, oh, uh, what, what, this punishment that I'm, I'm bearing is too much. Lamech goes, forget that. I'm just going to keep dishing it out because I don't care about God and his recompense. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. This is a heart fully calloused to God. And this is the normal course of humankind apart from the grace of God. God hands them over to this for their own destruction. The question that I have to wrestle over this, and I ask you to wrestle with me on this question, is in our advancement in human society, do you and I still recognize and acknowledge our full need and dependence on God? Do we see that every day? Because again, the trajectory is as we advance that our heart would go away from God. And we see that over and over in the Bible. And God warns his people of this over and over again. An example is in Deuteronomy chapter eight. He tells them, God says to them, I'm gonna bring you into a good land. It has water and fountains and springs and it has hills and valleys. It's got wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees and honey. Who doesn't love honey? A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. It's gonna be all over the place. You will lack nothing, he says. And then he says, in a land whose stones are iron and there's things in there, the hills that have copper. In other words, you can utilize all of this for your good and for the advancement of that area. It's gonna be amazing and you will eat and be full. And this is what he says, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That's the direction of the heart. That's so why he says, bless the Lord for all that he's done for you. And then he says, but take care. Next verse, take care lest you forget God. You're gonna forget what I say to you. Because you're gonna look at this, you're gonna eat and you're gonna have houses and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all you have is multiplied. God warns them and says, your heart will then be lifted up. He says, and you're gonna forget the Lord your God. I'm the one who saved you. I brought you out of there to myself and I gave you good gifts, but your heart turned to the gifts and you forgot me. And then he says, beware lest you say in your heart, and let this ring true in ours. By my power, this is what we say, by my power and the might of my hand, have I gotten this wealth. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to get the wealth because advancement often leads to pride. Look at what I've done, look at what we have done, look at how awesome we are and this is a prime example of the man and king Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. He has a dream, Daniel comes to him and says, this is a dream, this is what it means and he begs with him, he says, renounce your sins, please Nebuchadnezzar, his care for the pagan king is outstanding that Daniel would care so much about him. He says, renounce your sins. Do what is right. Get rid of your wickedness and be kind to those people who you've been oppressing. Maybe it will be that your prosperity will continue. That's Daniel's plea. Next verse says, after a year, the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace and he said, look at this city. This great Babylon, I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. Immediately, as he said those words, an angel visits him and he turns him into a madman for seven years, a full punishment seven. And sure enough, when he comes to his senses, he says, Now, This is what I've learned. I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And we saw that last week. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our desire is to be dependent on God for all things, to enjoy the things that he has given. Yes, he's given them so that we would enjoy but not to the disregard of full dependence, humble dependence on the Lord. Do you see your things in that way? Everything is to be returned to the praise of God. And we see that in this last part. That's the last you hear of Cain and his descendants is this wicked song of Lamech. And then the Bible shifts and goes back to Adam and Eve. If you started... You saw in Genesis 4, we started with Adam and Eve, and now we go back to them at the end. And this is what it says in verse 25. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, which means appointed. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. It is very clear in this text by what she says that Eve is humbled by this point. The first time she named her son, she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This time she says, God has appointed for me another offspring. She puts God first this time. The words that she uses are a reminder again of Genesis 3.15, of putting enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. The word put enmity that word put is appointed the same exact word that she names Seth I'm reminded God you're the one who's who has done this you're the one who has put this and here is a new man the word there is offspring same exactly between your offspring and her offspring she realizes the pain and weight of the curse at this point and that this battle is going to continue she thought there was an easy fix she realized that was wrong Now she realizes that there's a direction and she through pain and sorrow of both of her sons now being removed from her. God, I'm fully dependent on you. I need you to appoint this man. But it's also a reminder to the serpent. Cain, serpent, you might have taken Abel but here's another one. Here's another offspring. We're going again. And this one. God uses in the line of his son Jesus who will put down this serpent. And then you have to Seth born a son, his name is Enosh. And at that time it says people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This often is looked at solely as calling to the Lord in prayer. Can I tell you that's one aspect of this calling on the name of the Lord. The other aspect of this is just as important for us. It's also worshiping him and making him known. That's also what it is, worship and proclaim, because the same word, call, is what God does with Moses. God passes before Moses, and he calls to Moses and says, the Lord, the Lord, this is who I am. That's the word. He's proclaiming who he is to Moses. And so to call upon the name of the Lord is, yes, to speak to him, but it is also to speak about him because you're worshiping him and you're proclaiming him, you're making him known, that starts with Enosh. And it is linked to salvation. That's why Paul says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we see a contrast moving from here into Genesis 5, which we don't have time to do today, but the genealogy of Seth and Adam moves forward, and these people are those who walk with God. Because as the darkness of this passage is growing, the light also grows by God's grace and shines in the midst of the darkness. And so we're gonna end with two questions. Two questions that we've gotta think about. And I asked it previously, but now I want to ask it very specifically. Do you see and give thanks for God and his grace to you every day? Do you see it and do you give thanks for God and his grace to you every day? And this is where spending time with the Lord comes into our life. Because as we spend time with the Lord, we see clearer the need that we have through the word of God for him every moment of the day. Without that truth coming into our minds and our hearts, we will think we can do this all on our own, which we cannot. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether or not all of Cain's descendants ever remarked about God giving him these gifts, God did it anyway. It is true, whether or not we want to believe it, that God is the giver of all gifts to us. It is right for us to remind ourselves of that and then to praise Him accordingly. Do you know that? Do you see that? Is that a desire in your heart? You cannot appreciate something unless you see your absolute need for it, too. Isn't it key that this whole passage is dark? It's like giving a kid a flashlight in the daylight. They don't really see why they need it in the moment. But then when you start seeing the day progress into the nighttime, just like we're seeing in Genesis 4, it moves from evil to super evil, dark. Then you start realizing, wow, I really do need that flashlight, I do need the Lord. This is me, this is me, I am in darkness. Without light, you and I can go nowhere. We're just covered in darkness and that's in our hearts. And God has shown the light of the gospel through the face and glory of Jesus Christ into our hearts so that we've become, as Corey said, children of light. And I look at this and I have to ask, do I look at my family as just a blessing for the sake of my family? Do I look at my possessions as a blessing of simply having possessions or entertainment or safety and protection? Is that the thing that I'm looking for all the time or do I look to God for these things and recognize that it is from his hand if I am safe, that it is God who is protecting me, not myself? So do we see and give thanks for God and his grace every single day? Number two, do you have a desire to see people in your community come to know Jesus? Do you have a desire to see people in your community come to know Jesus? Again, these gifts are given by God for our benefit but also for the advancement of the human society around us and ultimately the advancement of his kingdom. So I ask this question, how are you using your gifts for the benefit of your community and the advancement of God's kingdom? Do you ever think of your gifts being used that way? I think many of us think that we go to a, a job and we do things there and maybe, maybe sometimes it overlaps into the ministry here, but do you look for the way that you can bless your community with the gifting specifically to see them advance and actually prosper and in doing so that we also have an, a means of proclaiming the Lord and His grace? Think of it like this, people today, we are very much like this situation. We're outside of the garden, we're outside of the land currently. We're exiles and strangers as the Bible calls us. We're scattered to various parts of the world. I hope you know there's other Christians besides all of those in West Olive or the West Michigan area. There's a whole world of people interacting with cities and Unsaved people constantly, and they're actually trying to advance and to help in various areas of the world. And we're all waiting for God to send his promised son again. Came once, but we're waiting again. And isn't it also very intriguing that the Bible ends with a picture of a city? There's a city at the end of the Bible. And what's happening there? All the nations are bringing their glory into the city What's their glory? I would say most likely it's their advancements, the things that they have found and they're bringing their glory into it. That Christians are honoring God with the advancement of the things that they have found because the diversity of culture has diversity of thought and diversity of insight and we need to utilize together all of these things for the praise of God and that's the picture at the end of the book of Revelation. So what should you and I be doing in between the time of exiles to city? I would say that we have to understand that we have a calling to be a part of this human society for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I fear many of our thoughts is that we as Christians have to huddle together and meet together because we have to do that, as the Bible says, all the more as we see the day approaching. And so often, we're we're gathering simply with ourselves. We're looking to ourselves. We're staying pure from the world. We're keeping ourselves holy and unstained from the world. And we're just gonna sit here and wait for Jesus. That's one part of it. And we would say things like, well, we're in the world but not of the world. Yes, but can we admit that maybe we have that a little overemphasized of not of the world and we forget the fact that we're actually in the world and we've been put in the world for a very specific reason. This comes from John 17. John 17, Jesus prays and he's praying to the Father and he says, first, I am no longer in the world, they are in the world. So we're in the world. We got that down, good. Good. Then he moves on and says they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we've got in the world, not of the world. Got it, Charles, what else do I need to know? The problem is is that that doesn't mean that you remove yourself from the world. Because Jesus in verse 15 of John 17 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. So the question that we have to ask is, how are you and I kept from the evil one? In other words, how do we stay focused on calling on the name of the Lord in the midst of a society that is going a direction away from God? And he says and prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We rely on God's word. We know him and we call upon him on a regular basis. And then he says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, Jesus is saying this, so I send them into the world. How and why was Jesus sent into the world? Why was Jesus? John three seventeen says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I was convicted over this because as I'm reading the story of, of Cain's descendants and then you have this other line of people calling on and proclaiming the Lord. I think, Charles, how often do you genuinely want to be involved in what's happening in your community to see people be saved? How often do you think about talking to your neighbors and inviting them over your house and getting to know them, those who do not know Christ? Do you actually desire them do, do you first of all desire their benefit, their prospering? And then do you desire to make known Jesus Christ to them, yes or no? Because it's not by accident that God has placed us in Grand Haven, Holland, Zealand, you name it, in West Michigan, you are here for a reason. And I think Jeremiah 29, 11, where we say, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And it's interesting that as you keep going, Or as you actually think about that, the prospering and not to harm you, he's already told you how you're gonna prosper. He says, I placed you in various cities. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that I've put you in because you need to pray to the Lord concerning that city because as it prospers, you prosper. That's true for us today. We are put in a city or near a city, in a community of people so that we would pray to the Lord concerning it, call upon the name of the Lord and call to the people to come to the Lord himself and that we would have that sort of heart because that's God's desire that anyone and that everyone would call upon the name of the Lord and so be saved. And God is in process of bringing people from all nations to himself to make a people for his own possession And this has been his plan from the beginning. Cain and his descendants didn't hijack this plan. God is raising up through Seth a faithful people who would testify and witness to those who are opposed to to God. And his plan is to bring them back to himself and his heart has not changed concerning that. But the question I have to ask is, is that where our heart is? And so this is what I wanna do. I wanna spend some time praying concerning these things I want us to spend time together either as a family or just by yourself however you want to pray but I want to have a time of prayer where we pray and ask God to do these things in us and I will guide us in a time of prayer and so the first thing we're going to pray for and I invite you to think of these things pray for a heart that desires people to come to know Jesus it's the first thing I want us to pray. Pray for a heart that desires people to come to know Jesus. And then pray for wisdom and courage to reach your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, with the truth of the gospel. Courage and wisdom to actually invite people perhaps into your house. Have a conversation with them. But it starts with a heart that recognizes that God is the one who sees and has gifted us in these ways to do these things for the advancement of his kingdom. So again, pray first, and then I'll guide in the next prayer, but pray for a heart that desires people to come to Jesus and pray for wisdom and courage to reach your neighbors for Christ. So spend some time in prayer right now over those things. The next two minutes i want you to also add this prayer as jeremiah 29 7 says seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which i have carried you into exile pray to the lord for it if it prospers you too will prosper pray for god to use your gifts and abilities that he has given you to meet a specific need in your city or your neighborhood To use your gifts and abilities to meet a specific need in your city or your neighborhood. Seek their benefit and blessing. Pray that as well. Father, it is very revealing to my own heart to realize that I enjoy what I want. And when I want it... Father, my heart is not broken over the need of salvation around me. I find more comfort and peace simply around your own people, but Lord, you have asked us to be a light in the midst of darkness, not simply light among other light. And Lord, many are in places and in proximity to those who do not know you. I pray that we would have a heart again in infused with a desire to see these people know you and that we would pray to you concerning them. Lord, not just for them, but also the whole, the the city itself, which is a representation of the people and the culture that we live in. Father, I pray that we would be a testimony of calling upon you, that we would also see that these advancements and all of the things that you've given us to do are not done. Lord, we're not just bunkering down until you come. We need to be about the mission of making disciples of all nations. Lord, it starts right here. Lord, I do pray for our neighbors. And I pray for those that perhaps we haven't spoken with in a while, those around us, maybe even new families that are being brought towards us. Lord, I pray that our houses, our homes, everything, our families would be open to inviting people and getting to know them. And Lord, through that, I pray that your gospel would be heard and that people would be saved. Lord, we have such limited time. We do look forward to seeing with you and being with you. Lord, give us faithfulness until you come. We love you, amen.
1: Praise God. Imagine the things that those prayers accomplished already and what they'll do in time. Let's stand together. And if you remember one of our commissions and our call to make him known, to make him famous, to declare his works. And so may this song just be the catalyst that brings you into the week of doing just that. Let's sing together before we leave this place. No one like you, God. No story more important than portraying and telling. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. you there's no one like him Sing it out. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever pray. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live.
2: Prayers exactly as you're praying, thinking this is right, this is what I should be praying. I want to see people saved and I don't want to be used in the community. But one thing I also know is it's absolutely terrifying. Sometimes we pray like that and we think, oh, we're so scared of what God might ask us to do, or or we feel insecure because we feel like we have to know what we need to do as we're praying. Listen, God just wants a willing heart. Like this prayer is like, God, I'm just going to put my trust in you. And I want, I want my life to be built around your love. It's a firm foundation. I just want you to use me. I'm telling you, you just open your life up. Just keep praying, God. I want you to use me for those around me, my neighbors. I want you to use me in the community. Here I am. Just use me. You just keep praying that. And you trust whatever he opens, and he will open a door. You trust that he'll help you take it a step at a time. He will use your gift sets and your quipping and you'll know what to do in the moment. Just give him that surrendered, willing heart. And we'll continue to pray this as Summit Church will embody the purpose and the reason we have been left on planet Earth, waiting for the blessed hope and the great appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God will use us. I tell you, I come away with a sermon like that and I'm thinking two things. I'm thinking, wow. I need to be more aware of those around me who need Jesus. This is beautiful. Look at this. Faith of a child. I love this. Don't you worry, hey, don't you worry about that at all. She's having great fun. Great fun, and this is a reason to be rejoicing. Children are wonderful and beautiful, and I don't want you to feel embarrassed at all about that. God is so good. God is going to use us. Be thankful for everything in your life. It's from God. Enjoy life, but give God the honor and glory for it all. Whatsoever you do, whatever you do, God's like, I'm not trying, you enjoy life, I've given things for you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father life. Enjoy that, but, but, but always look to me and realize that it all comes from me. Be the people, unlike Lamech, be the people who call upon the name of the Lord, who see rightfully, and let's go out into the world and shine the hope of the gospel to everyone around us. Hope you have a wonderful week, church. I've got to say one thing before we leave. I did say that baptisms were next week. I was wrong. They're uh, March 28th. March 28th are when the baptisms are happening. So be prepared for that. Contact us if you're like, you know what? I'm ready to take that step and to be baptized. Let us know. And know as you leave, always you are love, church. God bless.